Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, just go to chadburton.com. You can submit them there. That's Chad Burton. Dot com. You can sign up for the event that Rob and I are doing tomorrow evening, 6.30 p.m. So if you're listening to the podcast, and this is uh, recording as 6.06 on the 6th, so I want to give a market update. Been an interesting, really, couple of weeks. Stocks have rallied, especially small cap. Bonds have rallied. Bitcoin's up about 70% in the last three months. It's been a rally that uh, people haven't really been talking about until the last couple of days. I will say, though, the yield curve is still inverted. It's been that way since July 5th of 2022. The two-year U.S. Treasury is paying 4.64% before the market opens today. Ten years at 4.28%. There has been a big bond rally because the Fed's somewhat signaled that they're done. I Although I'm starting to feel like too many firms are coming out with expecting rate cuts in 2024, maybe a little bit too lofty on expectations. Um, if we look back, the reason why I say that is because when bond prices rally, it means the interest rates have gone down. And if we look back to uh, around October 18th or so, both the two-year and the 10-year were, were, the two-year was over 5%. The 10-year was close on back on October 18th. And, you know, now again, the two years down to 4.64, 10 years down to 4.28. And so bond prices have rallied around 6% since October 18th. So with the big stock market rally in the last few weeks of November and the bond rally since October 18th, November was one of the best months ever for a 60-40 portfolio, which is kind of a nice break, right? Because 2022 was one of the worst years ever for a balanced portfolio since 08, because Stocks were down. They weren't down as much as they were in 2008, but bonds were down about 13%. So a balanced portfolio experienced a similar loss in 2022 as it did in uh, 2008. Pretty similar. Now, another stealth rally as interest rates started to come down since October 18th, um, REITs up about 12% over that same period of time. That's real estate investment trusts. And you know a lot of those REITs... Um, for those that don't know, a real estate investment trust is a it's a different form of a company, right? Most companies that trade publicly are C corporations, REITs, real estate investment trusts 
are geared around, um, you know, you have hotels, you have hospitals, you have multi-level family, you have senior living, you have apartments, student housing, and it owns real estate. They pay rent. And to be a REIT, they have to pass on 90% of the net income to investors. So typically they pay a little bit, you know, higher dividend, although that had come down over the last several years. But we all know about the commercial refinance issue that's coming up where a lot of these commercial properties have loans that um, on the property that every five to 10 years, they have to re-up, they have to redo their loans because they're typically 10, 15 year amortization loans, but rates are only locked for five years. So a lot of these things are coming due over the next couple of quarters at much higher rates. Um, and, you know, I think that we just got to a point where it was overblown in terms of what's going to happen with that. You know, it could be wrong. That could be the black swan, right? But so far, um, between regional banks having, you know, keeping deposits because they're paying higher interest and private credit companies that are out there willing to take on these loans as people need to refinance, you've kind of got a, a relief rally there. So where are we for the year? We are still in a situation where uh, it's a tech rally of the Magnificent Seven, but it's still a situation where we're just recovering from the sell-off that occurred starting in January of 2022. Because if we look back, even though the NASDAQ is up 46% for the year, huge return in the NASDAQ, which is very tech-heavy, right? Double-digit percentage in both Amazon, Microsoft, or uh, in Apple and uh, Microsoft, rather. Um, if we look back from basically January of 2023 to December 5th, yesterday's market close, the NASDAQ is still down 2.45% total return over that period. So essentially this year has been a recovery off how stocks sold off too far, right? In January was the start, in January 2022 was the start of that interest rate cycle. And that brought tech stock valuations way down because they're Valuations are based on a discounted cash flow model. If those rates go up, the valuation goes down. So they did the market just oversold in 2022 on tech stocks, and it was a rebound. The S&P 500 is back up a big 10% rally in the last few weeks, it seems. It's up 20.73% for the year. But again, if we look at the makeup of the S&P 500, it's so different even from looking at it in 2013. In 2013, the top five holdings of the S&P 500 represented only 11% of the total index. It's a market cap weighted index. More money goes into the largest companies in the S&P 500. And so the top five holdings back in 2013 were 11% of the S&P 500. It was 3% Apple, 2.5% Exxon, 1.8% uh, Google, only 1.8% Microsoft and still 1.67% of GE. If we flip to today on the S&P 500, the top five holdings are 23% of the valuation of the index. And it's 7% Microsoft, 7.13% Apple, 3.43% Amazon, 2.86% NVIDIA, and 2% in uh, Alphabet. So a much different allocation. And it's so... A lot of people invest in the S&P 500, become diversified, but you got tech, tech, consumer cyclical tech and communication services. So basically five tech-based companies um, out of those positions. So um, 
getting back to where the market is, if we look at the equal weighted S&P 500, or if you said, okay, I'm, I'm going to invest in the S&P 500, but if I want an equal weighting in all 500 companies, that's up about 7.12%. So more representative of, of an overall uh, market portfolio that's, that's a little more diversified out of tech. Um, if we look at the Russell 2000, finally a rally in the last few weeks, up 6.94% for the year. But believe it or not, the international developed ETF, EFA, total return this year is 12.26%. So, I mean, obvious signs of recession overseas, but, you know, that already had happened. And so the market was is moving ahead there. Emerging markets, though, still struggling a bit with obviously China, a couple of wars going on, 3.82% for the year so far. Last time we did the podcast, bonds were still negative for the year. But this rally of of around 6% in bonds, a total return now for the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index ETF, AGG, for the year is up 3.07%. So bonds have kind of turned positive for the year. And that's the expectations as rates drop, bond values go up. And then so you have the increase in value and the interest that the bonds pay, that's the total return. Now, if we break down the Russell a little bit, because the Russell 2000, uh, up 6.94% for the year, I don't know if it's really the best indication of small and mid cap always, because there's a lot of companies in there that are not profitable. Um, and so when you look at, let's just uh, break down small cap a little bit right now. Um, small cap value finally up for the year, up 7.86%. Small cap growth up 12% for the year. Now, if we look backwards and say, okay, we are still in the situation where we are at the end probably of an interest rate increase cycle. That started in January of 2022. So where are still, you know, potential uh, values? And so one of the ways that you can look at that is, is really what's done the worst over that period of time that tends to do the best over longer periods of time. And is it time to enter some of these markets? And the things that get hard, hit harder during recessions, especially caused by a big rate increase, would be small cap companies and things like real estate or anything that's sensitive. Um, in this case, value has done better than growth over the last two years, but has done nothing this year. And so I'll go over some of the more market returns and where are we at on, on ratios? So is, are we cheap? Are we expensive? Fairly, fully valued? What are we looking at right now? Think you're in good shape for retirement? Find out how you're really doing with the seven steps for retirement readiness. Join Rob Black and CFP Chad Burton of EP Wealth Advisors Thursday, December 7th for a live webinar you can watch from home. Chad will walk you through these seven steps to find out whether you are really ready for the retirement you want. Rob will provide timely commentary and Chad will share specific strategies for taxes, income, long-term care, safe money, investing, life goals, and more. If you have at least 500000 in investable assets and want to better gauge where your retirement stands, pass on your estate, and create tax efficiencies, this event is for you. The 7 Steps for Retirement Readiness webinar, Thursday, December 7th, 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. Sign up today online at chadburton.com. Can't make it to the live webinar? Register to receive an on-demand recording after the webinar concludes. Go to chadburton.com. You can sign up for the webinar that I'm doing with Rob Black. That's tomorrow evening, December 7th, 6.30 p.m. Uh, for the podcast listeners, make sure you know it's on West Coast time. Uh, so 6.30 p.m. It's seven steps to retirement readiness. So 
if you're within 10 years from retirement, if you think that you've saved up enough, uh, hey, I might be able to retire in about 10 years or you're in retirement. This is the event for you. So you want to check it out. It's chadburton.com. Getting back to the markets. So we can just went through an overall update here. And, you know, the, essentially the bond market rallied because overall people think, hey, the Fed's probably done. Inflation numbers are starting to subside a little bit. Um, so they might this this rate increase cycle has likely ended and potentially in 2024, although I think a lot of firms are are probably keeping their expectations for rate cuts a little bit too high, potentially. Um, but the idea is that, OK, the feds have raised rates so much loan, you know, rates have gone up a lot, which slows growth and slows down the money supply. Um, consumers start to have a tougher time and have to put more on credit cards and it's kind of a cycle. So they start to drop rates. And so when you change a cycle, one of the things you look at is, okay, the end of the cycle, what's done too well, what's done probably too poorly, right? What's, what's kind of the baby out with the bathwater idea here. Um, so like I mentioned before, if we look at the main indexes that I always talk about over a two-year period, which is since January, 20th, uh, January 2022, um, the, the NASDAQ is fairly flat, down 2.45%. S&P 500 is down 1.78% over that period of time. Um, if you look at the equal-weighted index, it's down 5.41 on the S&P 500. So it's showing that there's some stuff that's still down over the last two-year period. Um, if we look at emerging markets down 18% over that period of time, so bonds, the total return on bonds since January 3rd of 2022. And if we look at the ag AGG down 9.74%, um, that number was worse a few weeks ago, small cap value. If we look at VBR ETF is down 3% still since January, 2022, small cap growth down 20% since January, 2022. Most people, when we look at portfolios are very overweight and large cap growth, especially tech if we're in the Bay Area, which is, you know, tech is a great place to be over the long run. Um, but if you look at investing in a value ETF since January 2022 versus a growth ETF, which is tech heavy since January 2022, growth has crushed value this year. Value has gone really nowhere. But in 2022, value didn't drop nearly as much as growth. So value is actually slightly better over that period of time. So you got to own a little bit of everything because the idea as you get towards retirement, you get close to retirement, you're into the world of wealth management and making your money last. The idea is to keep up with the market in the good years and try to outperform in the bad. And you do that with diversification. Diversification doesn't mean you're outperforming the S&P 500 every year. That's kind of a misnomer in the world of financial planning. It means you're smoothing out your expected returns over the long run. And so you're not dealing with major declines and things like that. But when you do have these major declines over a period of time, you kind of look to say, okay, what's done really well in my portfolio and what's done unusually bad over this period of time, but tends to outperform over a 10 year period. And you can do that by making changes in your portfolio, or if you're still working, accumulating wealth, you could target with your contributions where you're light. So if you're looking in your 401k these days and you're really overweight, large cap us growth, then you don't necessarily have to sell stuff because you got a long ways to go till retirement. You can just alter and make sure that your contributions are adding to some of these different areas. Because if we look at a year over year, let's, let's look at the market in terms of how people look at a business. And it's really interesting to me because I work with a lot of business owners that 
run businesses for many, many years, and then they go through a liquidation event. And then they are really kind of scared about the stock market because they don't feel like they understand it. So they like to go towards, you know, right now, munis and T-bills and things like that. But yet they took all this massive amount of risk in a single business that did extremely well over the long term. And when you're a business owner, you know, a P&L, that's your profit and loss statement, right? Here's my revenue at the top. Here's all my expenses. Did I make a profit or not? So you have the top line, which is your revenue, your sales. You have the bottom line, which is your sales minus all of your expenses. And it results in the profit. That's all investing is over the long run. Now, in the short term, and I think of three years as a short-term period in stocks. In the short-term, market can go oversold or undersold at a pretty extreme level. In the long-term, 10, 15 years out, it, it's all based on valuations. So where are we? Now that most of the companies, the S&P 500, reported their third quarter results, it takes a while, right? We're, we're already almost to mid-December here, and, and December 6th, and 98% of the companies or so last Friday had reported, according to FactSet. Now the the earnings growth that's the bottom line over the ye- over the one year period so Q3 of 2022 to Q3 of 2023 uh, earnings growth is 4.8 percent yet the market has rallied a ton since then so that still shows you that okay the market is rallying not because the market is the, the overall economy is doing so well because earnings growth is only 4.8 percent it's rallying because it got oversold in 2022 so you have to keep that in mind before you get over your skis on risk. Um, the, the, the forward 12 month PE ratio in the S&P 500 right now is sitting at 18.7. And a lot of that is because of how expensive the tech stocks have become again. Um, it's below the five-year average of 18.8, big deal, but above the 10-year average of 17.6 on the PE ratio. Um, so we're definitely not priced for a recession right now. We're still priced for, um, soft landing slash growth in 2024, the revenue growth from Q3 of 2022 to Q3 of 2023 was only 2.4%. That's the top line growth. So what it's telling you is that you had a lot of cost savings. Um, uh, costs came down, costs were controlled, layoffs occurred, things like that in a lot of these companies. So going forward, it's going to be, okay, value stocks just are relatively cheap. That's the PE ratio, but you have to have earnings growth. That's the PEG ratio. And a lot of times you're going to look at if it's the stock's got a dividend, what's the payout ratio, the cash flow, how much leverage does a company have? How sensitive are they to interest rates? Um, so it's going to be an interesting 2024 to say the least. Um, I don't, I have kind of soft expectations on it just because I'm still more in the soft landing camp, but we still have an inverted yield curve. We still haven't really had a recession. That's everybody's expected since 2022. Um, and earnings and revenue have been somewhat flat. Um, so the, the economy has been extremely resilient with this raise in interest rates that the Fed's done. Extremely resilient. Um, the only thing that really kind of seemed to have broke was those regional banks that broke when you had um, a couple of regional banks. Gosh, it seems like it's been months ago, but I guess it's only been about, what, four or five months ago since all that went down. Um, and that was handled pretty well. Um but we do have, I mean, I will say in terms of credit card debt for consumers is going up. We have a bubble in auto loans, but that's not systemic. Um, you know, mortgage rates need to come down a bit to get home buying to go. But gosh, that's a normal. My first rate on my first mortgage was 8.1%. And that seemed decent when I bought my first house years ago. 
Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Looking forward to seeing many of you on a webinar. That's tomorrow, December 7th, 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Seven steps to retirement readiness. So this is really right for people that have, you know, over half a million dollars saved up. They're within 10 years or less from retirement or in retirement. And talking about all of the issues, seven key things to make sure that you are ready for retirement or stay in retirement. Sign up at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. So Robin, I'll start at 6.30 sharp on December 7th. All right, I want to switch gears a little bit. We're talking about the market. Um, Well, let me actually, getting back to the market a little bit. Uh, it is good. You know, now is the time to make sure you're looking at your portfolio and say, okay, is there anything in my taxable accounts? Those are your non-retirement accounts. Are there any, uh, tax loss harvesting events that you need to do? Is there anything that's still down where you might want to sell one fund ETF or stock and park it someplace different, still be in the market, but a different position, uh, take a tax loss if you need one and then get back into your favorite position. Uh, And right now is when you can typically go to your mutual fund ETF sites. Those are the ones where typically in December, that's when the capital gains distributions go out. And for international funds, capital gains and dividends distributions tend to go out in December as well all in one lump chunk. And so if you're trying to avoid taxes on that and take a tax loss harvest on your portfolio, um, then now is the time to do it before those capital gains distributions go in. So you have to often go to the website and see, okay, what is it going to be? I haven't seen too many major ones this year. There's a couple of uh, value funds that I've noticed that had some turnover that will be kicking off some capital gains distributions. But I don't feel like it's going to be like a year like 20, I think 2021 or 2022 was where you had a lot of capital gains distributions. So people were paying taxes on their taxable accounts. And they're like, why? Why did this happen? Um, I didn't take anything out, but that's called phantom income. Stocks pay dividends. Bonds pay interest. So if you have a non-retirement account, even if you're not pulling money out, you have some tax events going on. And then mutual funds and ET, even ETFs have a certain amount of turnover that occurs where there's changes. For example, a couple of changes were announced to the S&P 500 recently. And so when those changes occur, that can create a taxable event coming from your S&P 500 index funds. Now, ETFs have the ability to do a better job managing taxes than mutual funds just on their structure alone. That's why you have a lot of companies, whether it's dimensional funds, T. Rowe Price, shifting from, you know, usually ETFs or exchange traded funds were a way to get into index funds in a cheaper, more tax efficient manner. But now a lot of mutual fund companies are switching over to actively managed ETFs with the same strategy, slightly lower cost and much better tax structure. So that's occurring out there in the world. That's that's exciting. Um. So still with where we are in the market, it's still time to build that balanced portfolio. So this is not a recommendation, but just an idea going into retirement that could look like, you know, make sure you know what your expenses are. Three years worth of portfolio draws, not your expenses, but your portfolio draws. So your expenses, all of them, including taxes and healthcare costs, minus your auto income, like Social Security, maybe some rental income, maybe some dividends. 
So what else are you going to draw from your portfolio? Three years worth of that needs to be really safe. And we can get 5% plus in safe money these days, um, whether it's T-bills or online FDIC-insured bank accounts. The rest of the portfolio, maybe you look at 55% growth, 5% alternatives, 40% fixed income. And that growth is a mix of large cap, small cap, mid cap, and international. The alternatives could be REITs and private credit. Um, then the fixed income can be a mix of corporate and, and tax-free, depending on your account types. Still, I, I think we're, we're still a decent time. If you're in retirement and you know you need to pull a certain amount of money out of your IRA, it's still a good time to consider a corporate bond ladder. So rather than just mutual funds, you can create a corporate bond ladder where every year you have one-tenth of your portfolio of bonds maturing. And so not only do you have interest payments, which start you know, somewhere in the 5.39% category right now, um, but you have bonds maturing every year. So principal coming out where you can determine, do I need to spend it? Do I need to reinvest it in an, another 10-year bond? Or do I need to buy stocks if the market dipped? Haven't liked to do that since 2006, but we're still in an area where it's good in the market. Um, so I like that piece for people that are retired, especially if you're 73 years old or older, and you know how much you're going to have to pull from your required minimum distribution each year, knowing that you have a good chunk of that coming due in an individual bond, regardless of what the market is doing, even if interest rates go up, you know, your bond's still going to mature at a hundred bucks. Um, it's still a, a good way to go. Um, so definitely a good time to take a look, close look at your overall portfolio and say, Okay, I, I did really well in, in tech. Tech has finally recovered off the you know lows of 2022. I don't want to go through that much volatility again because I'm so close to retirement. It's time to get reallocated. Your opportunity is now because rates have started to go back down. And so locking some of these in, um, you could get some good total returns. Um, so make sure you look at getting that balanced portfolio. All right. What I was going to talk about this segment is my continued goal that I'm not achieving each year. I just need to make it my 2024 resolution um, is to get better at using credit cards, points and, and air miles. Um, I'm sure you guys have all heard of, of the points guy. Um, so I'm on his email list and I'd love to get the points guy or somebody from there on the show. Um, there's a couple of different ones. There's like thrifty travel and points guy and nerd that, that they do articles on what's the best way to use your air miles and your points. And what are the key things I keep hearing? Um, I, I'm the type that when I'm working, I have to have noise in the background. It's just the, my, my ADD, I guess. So I always have Bloomberg and, and other things, any financial stuff playing in the background or healthcare stuff like Huberman labs podcast, for example. But I, I have to have that additional intake in my brain as I'm working. And one of the things that I keep picking out of different financial shows is that um, people are afraid that their air miles are going to devalue. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I've got a ton of, especially Alaska miles from flying back and forth from, you know, PDX to mostly San Jose between the Vancouver, Washington office, which is near Portland, Oregon, and then the, the Bay area office. And every time I go on to use them, it's like, it's so annoying because I never feel like I'm getting enough value out of the points that I'm using. So I started to bank them hearing that with Alaska, it's better if you use them on, on partner international flights. Um, but now I'm, I'm just kind of wondering what's going on. And so I just wanted to put this out there so that if you have a lot of air miles or credit card points, 
Um, there's a couple of things going on. First of all, the points guy, they put out an email saying um, the credit card competition act is being billed as a consumer friendly act, but instead could destroy rewards programs as we know them. We've seen this happen before with the impact of the Durban amendment on debit cards. It was a huge loss for consumers. Um, that was, so that was debit card. So basically if big box retailers, they say, are able to choose cheaper, less secure credit card processing networks, it could expose private consumer information to foreign networks and lead to lower fees being collected by banks. I don't understand all of this. It's out there. You can read it. I'm not telling you which way to vote on uh, one, but they're saying contact your congressperson because recent research says that nearly 70% of travelers base their travel decisions around the membership benefits that they can access through credit card rewards and loyalty programs. Um. So this could have a huge impact on what they say would be a kind of a, well, they say cataclysmic effect on the travel experience for millions of Americans. Um, there's been a massive amount of inflation in, in travel in the last year. That's when you hear, when I, when I hear inflation, if you look at, you know, it, it just feels so false based on going to the grocery store. If you eat healthy, the inflation that you pay on food right now is way higher than the stated rate of inflation that the U.S. is saying. So keep that in mind. Some of this stuff is sticky. That's why I don't fully buy a whole bunch of rate increases. It decreases by the Fed in 2024. There's a lot of inflation out there still. Um, so they're, they're saying reach out to your lawmaker and voice your concerns. So check it out. Um, uh, the points guy, you can just Google it. And there's a lot of good articles on there. For example, um, you know, a lot of these sites, uh, Nerd Wallet is another really cool financial site that I do refer to. Um, they have this article up there right now that, um, that you can find how much are airline miles worth. That's one of the things I struggle with. Like when I book a flight, I like to sit in certain seats and, um, I find that when I use air miles, things just get more complicated. And then I, I get to the end screen where it's telling me how many miles it's going to use out of my miles account. And then I go back and I say, how much if I just pay cash and bank some more miles, and I, I tend to just end up buying it direct because it always seems like the miles are are too many. So this was interesting because it puts like a Alaska air miles plan. Uh, the value for every mile is 1.4 cents. Uh, American Airlines, 1.7 cents. If we look at Delta, it's 1.2 cents. Now, it was a weird in, in situation, I guess, this last kind of 12-month period where points kind of became more valuable but now if you look out at some of the articles out there, um, it could be going the other direction. So there's a CNBC article that I was reading that a recent study conducted by City and the Harris Poll indicated 28% of travelers will be using credit card points or airline miles to book their next adventure. Um, and then they go on to talk about there has been a big increase in rewards and points and credit card sign-on bonuses and so that the proliferation of more and more credit card points and more and more air miles and then airlines going on and saying all of a sudden, oh, this isn't going to be worth as much anymore. We're not going to we're going to decrease. We're going to devalue um, the value of airline points. So a lot of people fear that that's kind of the next cycle that we're on. In addition, you have this uh, credit card point um, credit card competition act coming into play. So, you know, it's, it's one thing you, you really have to look and there's a lot of sites out there, whether it's nerd wallet, the points guy, what's the best credit card for you? Is it an Amazon prime card? Is it a 
travel card, it's, it's really kind of an individual situation, but make use of it because you can save a lot of money on travel if you do it the right way. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. Join me tomorrow evening, December 7th, 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can go to chadburton.com to sign up for the seven steps to retirement readiness. Check it out. That's chadburton.com. One of the things that I talk about, a little bit of a um, spoiler alert, is that idea of concentrating on how you live life in retirement. Because I would suggest that you delay retirement and spend some of the money while you have a high income on becoming healthy so that you can actually enjoy the years of retirement. Something that's really stuck with me getting in the business at 19 years old for 30 years now in the business. Seeing those that truly enjoy retirement are the ones that concentrate on health and relationships and volunteer work and stay very busy versus those that are, um, you know, out of shape and stay mostly at home and, and watch a lot of TV. And, you know, what's the quality of life? Um, one of the things I was thinking about as I woke up this morning and talk about that I really haven't mentioned much is it's just overall water consumption to stay healthy. There's two things that have been on my mind recently is that um, I used to take a ton of ibuprofen, you know, wrestling through even into college at Portland State, um, you know, lots of injuries. I, I play hard, right? Between the sports that I've chosen, snowboarding, wake surfing, all that kind of stuff. And so I was eating way too much ibuprofen. Then I started to read how it messes up your stomach and can include, in, uh, you know, gut leak and, and, and then research that's starting to show it's kind of like a vicious cycle. If you take too much th- stuff like ibuprofen throughout the day, it can create a reduction in pain momentarily, but it causes so much internal inflammation that inflammation could spread throughout your body and make things worse by taking that kind of stuff. So drinking a lot more water and having a lot and a healthy gut probiotics is really, really good. So how much water should somebody drink? Um, easy to Google this, right? For healthy individuals, the average daily water intake for men is about 15.5 cups. That's a lot. I know so many people that barely drink any water at all. And I'm constantly bugging my kids, drink more water, drink more water. 15.5 cups um, for men and about 11 and a half cups for women. I think women are better at this than men because especially all the people rolling around with the Stanley cups. I mean, at any one time, there's four or five Stanley cups around my house. There's always Stanley cups around the office, always filled with water. Right. Um, So that's, that's a big one. Another way to look at it is you take your weight times 0.5. That's how many ounces that you should drink. So if you're 160 pounds, that's 80 ounces of water a day. Right. That's a minimum. If you work out or it's hot, you have to do a lot more. Now, if you listen to some people like uh, one of my favorite podcasts is um, Huberman Labs. 
And, uh, you know, they talk about make sure a lot of your hydration is in the first six hours of when you're awake so that you stop drinking a ton of water towards the end of the day. So it doesn't wake you up at night and disturb your sleep. So what do I do? The first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is uh, 16 ounces of water with a hydrogenated tablet in it that I get off Amazon. So hydrogenated water kind of fizzes like almost like an Alka-Seltzer. And I take some of my supplements that, you know, curcumin and some other things that I do. And then while working out, I drink 50 ounces of water with essential amino acids and creatine. And creatine is great for not only working out, but also great for your brain. And then drinking more throughout the day. That's why you see people that look really healthy. They're lifting weights all the time. It's kind of annoying to see that milk jug full of water, but that's how people say, I need to try to get a gallon of water in my body a day. That's that might be a little bit excessive based on my size, but it's really, really important. And the other thing that's important is don't drink tap water. Don't drink tap water. I mean, so many places that focus on health, that's one of the first things that they will tell you is drink more water, but don't drink tap water. There's so much stuff in uh, in our systems today um, that you need to be filtering your water. Um, even if it's just simply a, a, a Brita filter to get out some of the fluoride. Um, so drink more water as you focus on your health. So again, I think that as you, as you go into retirement, a lot of people need to practice retirement. Right. A lot of people go the, the ones that have the most difficult time are those that work a ton, 60, 70 hours a day. Um, if you can, if you are that person and you think you're going to go cold turkey, turkey into retirement, you might have a great first couple of months because you're finally relaxing and your phone's not blowing up and you're not responding to 100 emails a day. But then you're probably going to get a little bored if you don't know what you're going to be doing with your time. And again, first thing in the morning, wake up, meditate, exercise, um, then have some sort of an event planned exercise with your social activities. That's where I really see people thrive, whether it's golf, pickleball, tennis, um, in some cases, Tai Chi at the park for people. But when people kind of get their first fix of, of exercise in the morning, sunlight in the morning and, and relationships in the morning, that's when people tend to shine. And the other place that I see that in life is when people are older, right? They get into their eighties and a lot of people will go into retirement and say, I'm never going to a nursing home. I, I always want to stay at home. Well, as you get older in life and we struggle with this with our parents because you kind of feel bad, um, because, you know, they're, they're at home alone, but yet you want to give them the care, but you feel bad at putting them in a care facility. A lot of times the people that fight going into assisted living or community living type of space, the ones that fight it the most because they don't want to lose their independence, end up enjoying it the most because they're finally around other people doing these activities, playing cards, exercising, all of those different things that, um, you know, they might have been missing as their life as they aged and their friends started to pass away. Uh, it, you know, the last several years have been really tough on older people because if you're in your 30s, you probably didn't hear about too many of your friends passing away from COVID, right? But if you were in your 80s, that's who it was really affecting. Um, and a lot of people lost a lot of friends when they're later in life. And that was really, really tough. So you kind of have to think about these things in retirement because if you go into assisted living or nursing home, that's not something that Medicare pays for. That is something that's on your own. You're either going to pay for it out of your savings. 
you're going to move out of your house and rent it or sell your house or, you know, borrow from your kids or whatever it may be. You have to think about how those scenarios are going to play out and talk about it with your family well prior to the event occurring, because you have to have the proper will, trust, power of attorney and healthcare directive in place as you go into retirement. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. Find the podcast and all of the links to different platforms at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Sign up for the event tomorrow evening, 7 p.m. Rob Black, seven steps to retirement readiness. Have a great day, everyone. 